Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2013. Titled Origins, this podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 12 for March 16-22, to Creation and the Gospel. Sabbath afternoon, March 16. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the main purpose for our studying your word is to understand more about you, and that you sent your Son that each of us could have eternal life. As we open your word this week, we just want your Holy Spirit to be there to guide us and to bless us. May we learn more about you and more about your will for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Let's read that again, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In the biblical account, Adam and Eve were created in God's image without any moral defect. But they did have free will, a prerequisite for them to be able to love. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they fell under Satan's power, an act that brought the whole world under the enemy's power as well. Jesus, though, came to destroy the works of the devil and free us from his power. He did this by dying in our place and offering us life. On the cross, Jesus became sin for us and experienced the separation from his Father that sin causes. By his death, Jesus restored the relationship between God and humanity that had been broken by the sin of Adam and Eve. All these points are logically linked to the creation story. Creation comes into the picture again as the power of the Creator God is exercised to create a new heart in His children, renewing the image of God within us and restoring our relationship with Him. Sunday, March 17, Grace in the Garden As we know so well, the first humans, perfect beings created in the image of God, fell into sin which brought death. They had been warned, and they understood what they had been told. Eve even repeated to the servant what God had said, yet they sinned anyway. At times we, like Eve, are led into sin by deceit while at other times, like Adam, we sin intentionally. Either way, we are sinners guilty of transgressing God's law. Question. Read Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. What was God's response to the sin of Adam and Eve? Beginning at verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God held a trial, an investigative judgment even. The purpose of the trial was not so that God could learn the facts. He already knew them. The purpose was, instead, to give the couple an opportunity to accept responsibility for their actions. The first step toward repentance and restoration. God asked them what had happened. And they confessed, although reluctantly. Though they were guilty and though their sin brought immediate consequences, the first gospel promise was given to them in Eden. Question. Read Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. What further act of grace was revealed? Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Death came in a most unexpected way. Instead of the immediate death of Adam and Eve, one or more animals died. Imagine Adam's feelings as the animal died, perhaps in his place as a sacrifice. It was the first time that Adam had seen death, and it must have brought him enormous mental pain. Then the animal was skinned, and a tunic was fashioned from the skin. The skin was placed over Adam's body to cover his nakedness. Every time he looked at it, or felt it, he was surely reminded of what he had done and what he had lost. More important, it was a reminder of God's grace. So to finish today, no doubt we all should be very appreciative, to say the least, of God's grace to us. What better way to reveal that appreciation than to show grace to others? To whom could you show some grace right now, however undeserving he or she may be? Monday, March 18, Sin and Death In Genesis 3.19, Adam was told that at death he would return to the dust from which he was made. The same thing happens to us. Notice, we do not return to being apes because we were not made from apes. We were made from dust, and it's to dust at death that we return. Question Read Genesis 2 7, Psalm 104, 29 and 30, John 1 4, and Acts 17 24 and 25. What is the ultimate significance of these texts for us? How should this truth influence the way in which we live? First of all, Genesis 2 7. 
And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And Psalm 104, verse 29 and 30. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. And John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Life is a marvellous phenomenon. We are all familiar with life, but there is still something mysterious about it. We can take apart a living organism, but in the end we find nothing there except various kinds of atoms and molecules. We can collect the molecules in a container and heat it or pass an electric spark through it or try any number of other experiments, but we do not get life again. There is no entity called life that exists within a living body or a living cell. Life is a property of the entire living system, not an entity that can be separated from the cells. On the other hand, we know much about how to produce death. We have dev devised many ways of killing living things. Some of these methods reveal in astonishing detail the violence and cruelty of our sinful hearts. Death we can produce, but the creation of life is beyond our grasp. God alone has the ability to create living organisms. Scientists have tried to create life, thinking that if they could do so, they would have an excuse for why they do not believe in God. So far, all such efforts have failed. Question. Read Isaiah 59, verse 2. How does sin affect our relationship to the life-giver? But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. If life comes only from God, then separation from God cuts us off from the source of life. The inevitable results of separation from God is death. Even if one lives 969 years, as did Methuselah, the story still ends with, And he died. Sin, by its very nature, causes separation from life, and the result is death. Tuesday, March 19, While We Were Yet Sinners All throughout the Bible we find that God's response to human sinfulness is redemptive in nature and motivated by genuine, unselfish love. He would have been fully justified in giving Adam and Eve up to Satan's destructive power. After all, they had made their choice. But God knew that Adam and Eve did not understand the full meaning of what they had done. 
and he determined to give them an opportunity to become better informed and to be able to choose again. Question. Read Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. How do these verses help us to understand what God's grace is all about? For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. When we are wronged, we like to have an apology before we accept the offender back into a good relationship with us. Of course, an apology is appropriate in such circumstances. Complete healing of a damaged relationship includes an expression of sorrow and acceptance of responsibility for the misdeed. But God did not wait for us to ask for forgiveness. He took the initiative. While we were yet sinners, he gave himself to die on our behalf. This is a wonderful demonstration of divine love. How does our behavior compare with God's behavior? How often are we offended and angry and seek revenge rather than restoration? We should be eternally thankful that God does not treat us in that way. God's treatment of sinners shows the true meaning of love. It is not a mere feeling, but a principled behavior in which every effort is made to reconcile the offender to the offended and restore the relationship. God's treatment of Adam and Eve is an illustration of how he relates to our sin. Writing in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 213, Ellen White says, The scenes of Calvary call for the deepest emotion. Upon this subject, you will be excusable if you manifest enthusiasm. That Christ, so excellent, so innocent, should suffer such a painful death, bearing the weight of the sins of the world, our thoughts and imaginations can never fully comprehend. The length, the breadth, the height, the depth of such amazing love we cannot fathom. To finish the day, maybe we can't fathom this love, but why is it so important that we try? Wednesday, March 20, The Sin-Bearing Substitute Question Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians 3.13 Dwell on the amazing implications of this text, keeping in mind the deity of Christ as you do. What does this tell us about what God was willing to do in order to save us? More so, 
What does this tell us about how tragic it is for anyone not to accept the provision that Christ made in our behalf? In taking the guilt of our sins upon himself and dying in separation from God, Jesus fulfilled the promise originally made in the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. His sacrifice made possible the reconciliation of God and the human family and will eventually result in the final elimination of evil from the universe. Hebrews 2.14 reads, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Question. Keeping Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 in mind, read Matthew 27:46. What do Jesus' words reveal about what he went through on the cross? First of all, Galatians 3:13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Then Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Christ accepted the curse of sin in our behalf. This was a change in his standing with the Father. The sacrificial lamb, when brought to the altar, became a substitute for the death of the sinner. Likewise, when Christ went to the cross, his status before the Father changed. Shut out from the Father's presence, he felt the curse that our sin had caused. In other words, Jesus, who had been one with the Father from eternity, experienced a separation from the Father in what Ellen G. White called the sundering of the divine powers. That's Manuscript 93 in 1899. However hard it is to fully comprehend exactly what was happening, we can know enough to realize that an amazing price was paid in order to redeem us. Thursday, March 21, A New Creation The great news of the Gospel centers around the death of Jesus as our substitute. He took our sins upon himself, bearing in himself the penalty that would otherwise justly be ours. As we have seen, too, the whole idea of Christ as our substitute, dying for the sins of the world, is inextricably linked to the creation story. Death is an alien intruder in God's creation, and Christ came to destroy it. If evolutionary theory were the chosen way that God used to create humans, it would mean, then, that death, far from being an aberration and an enemy, would instead be part of God's original plan for humanity. Indeed, death would play an important role in the way in which God created us. 
It's no wonder, then, that Christians must reject theistic evolution as a viable way of understanding the creation story. The Genesis creation account, however crucial in helping us to understand Christ's death in our behalf, also helps us to understand another aspect of the plan of salvation, that of God's work of creation in us, as we partake of His holiness now. Question. Read Psalm 51.10, Ezekiel 36.26 and 27, Colossians 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. What promises are given to us here that are linked with the concept of God as Creator as revealed in Genesis 1 and 2? Beginning with Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new heart is a creation that only God can do. We cannot do it ourselves, but must depend on the same Creator who formed the world and created our first parents. David recognized his need and asked God to solve the problem by an act of creation. Indeed, the person who is in Christ is a new creation. The old way of thinking must be taken away and replaced with a newly created mind. Our new mind is created for good works, in accordance with God's will. This kind of creation is a supernatural process accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. The original creation gives us confidence that God's creative power is able to change our lives and to bring us back into relationship with Him. So, to finish today, how have you experienced what it means to be a new creation in Christ? What does this mean in a daily practical sense? What is it that changes in the life of someone who has had this experience? Friday, March 22. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 113, Ellen G. White writes, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy 29.29 Just how God accomplished the work of creation, He has never revealed to men. Human science cannot search out the secrets of the Most High. His creative power is as incomprehensible as His existence. And from The Desire of Ages, page 753 and 754. In that thick 
darkness, God's presence was hidden. He makes darkness his pavilion and conceals his glory from human eyes. God and his holy angels were beside the cross. The Father was with his Son, yet his presence was not revealed. Had his glory flashed forth from the cloud, every human beholder would have been destroyed. And in that dreadful hour, Christ was not to be comforted with the Father's presence. He trod the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with him. That brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. How is the gospel related to the story of creation? What special aspects of Genesis chapter 1, 2 or 3 are foundational to the gospel? How is the story of Jesus based on the historical veracity of Genesis? How would one tell the story of Jesus if there were no Adam and Eve? 2. The Bible maintains that the creation was accomplished by supernatural processes that are not accessible to science, but that can be learned only by special revelation. Tension between the Bible and science is, therefore, not a surprise. Why is it a mistake, then, to expect science to be able to explain all of God's creative works? 3. What links exist between the gospel, creation and judgment, as indicated in Revelation 14, 6 and 7? And 4. Critics of Christianity will often argue that Jesus knew beforehand that though he would die, he would be resurrected to life. Thus, they ask, what was the big deal about his death when he knew it would be only temporary? How does Matthew 27.4, supplemented by the Desire of Ages statement in Friday's further study, help to answer that objection? Inside Story Finding Hope, Finding Jesus Amir Ghalis, director of the Al-Wad Media Centre in the Middle East, is delighted to share the following email that he received from someone who came to love Jesus by listening to Hope Channel. Through its amazing programs, Hope Channel North Africa Middle East NAME has played a major role in comforting me during my time of mourning. I especially mention the program entitled Road to Salvation. This particular program has introduced me to Jesus Christ, his miraculous birth, his holy life, and his true nature. This program also introduced me to the Holy Spirit. I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit before. Now I know that he is the one who comforted me during my time of distress. I know that he is with me wherever I go. I live among people who don't believe in Jesus, and my life may be in danger. If my family learns that I have accepted Jesus as my Saviour, they may kill me. In spite of that, I feel happiness and peace in my heart. I have found a treasure which I will never give up. I used to be so afraid before, but now I am not afraid of anything. I now know that Jesus Christ is the door to God the Father. I now pray in Jesus' name, and I know that he will hear my prayer. Not long ago, I had a big problem in my life. I prayed in the name of Jesus, and the problem was solved in an unexpected way. 
I believe in Jesus Christ and in His grace for me. Thank you for Hope Channel. Without it, I would have been lost. Please pray for Hope Channel, especially in North Africa, Middle East Centre, and the ministry it is carrying out to reach the people in a part of the world that is difficult to reach. Your mission offerings are another important means to support and promote the work of the Hope Channel around the world. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.